Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that when Christ ascended, that He sent forth His Spirit. He has not left us here alone, but we have one who is our great instructor. And we pray this morning that He would be sent forth from heaven to teach us the truths of Your Word, that we might grow in them, that we might trust Jesus more fully and walk in His ways. And this we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43 this morning. I will say that next week is the first week of Advent, and I'll begin a a brief series of sermons on Advent. But uh, for this morning, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and you'll find that on page 840 of your Pew Bible. Now, so far in this chapter, uh, really the last chapter and a half, what we've seen is that Christ has triumphed over those forces that would oppose him. We've seen it in him calming the storm, the demoniac that he healed. uh, And we'll see it again here today with illness and death as Jesus overcomes these two things. But read with me, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at, de- at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians And it had spent all that she had and was no better, but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them 
to give her something to eat. Humanly speaking, there are two types of people that come to Jesus. There are those who come to Him looking to be topped off, so to speak, to have their life rounded out a bit, to be filled out, to give them something a little bit extra in life, maybe that little extra something that will make life special. Think of all the different people who have come to Jesus looking for healing. They have come oftentimes just so that Jesus can remove this one problem in their life. Think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what one more thing do I need to do? Jesus, how can you just sort of top off my life? And then there are those who come to Jesus because there are no more options. Their situation is hopeless in their own eyes and they recognize it. And that's exactly what we find here is these two people, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and this anonymous woman who come to Jesus because they are without options. We read here in verse 23 that Jairus comes to Jesus and falls down before Him. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus goes with him. And yet what we find here is along the way, this anonymous woman comes to Jesus looking to be healed. We're told that her illness has lasted for 12 years. And that what she has done is spent all that she had. And yet things were still getting worse. She had run out of options because she had spent everything that she had to cure her disease. She had been under the care of physicians and they had done her no good. Now, that's a scenario that's been taking place since the beginning of time. The pursuit of the fountain of youth. When I need some care in my life, the pursuit of physical uh, a physical cure. It might be the pursuit of happiness. Think of all the billions of dollars that are spent on therapy and medications. All the billions of dollars that are spent on entertainment. One of the reasons that we spend money on those things is because we're just like this woman. We're spending everything that we have to fix the problem. And that's exactly what she's done. Life goes wrong and we want to fix it. Yet what she has found out is that everything that she pours herself into, every bit of money that she spends, simply goes into that broken cistern that can hold no water. And it leaks and she keeps having to put more in and more in until she's spent everything and now her condition is getting worse. In a way, it's like that great poem, The Hound of Heaven, where Francis Thompson reveals his own life as an opium addict. And he said it's as though the Lord was like this hound who was pursuing him through the streets of London. And one day he came to realize that a voice was speaking to him saying, all things that betray you, betray me. In other words, 
Everything that would turn its back on God will turn its back on you. Everything that you could spend your life, all of your savings on to fix your problems, to give you what you think you desire out of life, one day will ultimately mean that your condition is just getting worse. And you'll find that you've spent everything. What Jesus wants us to understand, He wants this woman to understand, He wants this man to understand, is that there's only one who can satisfy. It's the lesson the disciples learned, isn't it? John chapter 6, Jesus fed the the 5,000 and He began to speak of Himself as the bread of life and you must feed upon Me, He says. People took offense at this and they began to leave and He looked at His disciples and He said, now do you want to leave too? Peter said, Lord, where shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. See, Jesus wants us to get to the point where we're out of options. And the only thing that we have is Him. And that we come to Him and say, where shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. You see, you can spend all that you have on solutions that will simply leave you empty and brokenless. They will leave you bankrupt as this woman is bankrupt. Financially bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. And you'll have nothing left. And your condition will grow worse and worse and worse until you realize you have no more options. The only thing you can do is come to Christ. The obvious meaning of this text is that Jesus has the power to heal Here He heals both this woman who has been under the care of physicians for 12 years. And He heals this little girl because she's at the point of death. But what we want to look at this morning is not simply that Jesus has the power to heal. We know that to be true. But what Jesus will do in these particular people. In other words, what does Jesus want to accomplish in them, and analogously, what does He want to accomplish in us too by leading us to the point where we have no more options? Well, here's the first thing. Jesus draws us out of hiding. He draws us out of hiding. We're told here in verse 27, this woman had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garments. She thought, if I just touch His garments, well, then I will be made well. Here she wants to remain anonymous. After all, she's had this condition for 12 years that has left her ceremonially unclean. And if she were to come in contact with anyone else, they would be ceremonially unclean. And therefore, she is used to living an anonymous lifestyle, to being on the periphery of society. And her thought is, well, I will remain anonymous and I will simply touch the hem of Jesus' cloak and then... I will be made well. Now after she's healed, Jesus will not leave her in her anonymity. We're told in verse 32, He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. Here she comes before Jesus. She's She's afraid and yet she spills her soul to Him. She begins to reveal all that she has endured over the last 12 years. Who knows what all she told Him. But whatever it was, it was the whole truth. You see, 
That's just what Jesus wants us to do too. He wants us to come out of hiding and spill our souls so that we reveal the whole truth that He already knows. Now, some of us are the kind of people that allow people into our lives very easily. Others of us are a little more reserved and we only let people just as far as the front porch. We don't allow them to actually come into the house and look around the rooms and lift up the, or open the drawers and, and uh, sort of look behind the curtains and see what's actually there. Because it's much more comfortable to keep people on the front porch. It's safe. We can hide a lot of things that we don't want people to see. And we do that with Christ as well. We hide behind artificial boundaries. And we present a reality to people and to God that we want them to believe. Sometimes we hide behind intellectual barriers where we want to sound as though we are very smart. We are very intellectual. We know our theology. We know our business. We know about science. And those are the kinds of things that we hide behind and keep everybody else out on the front porch, including God. Other times, it's different types of barriers. And you can probably think about your own life and the types of things that you use to keep God away. But like this woman, I think we all hide for many reasons, but one in particular. Because we have a sense of our own uncleanness. That's why this woman was hidden. She was unclean for the last 12 years. And she didn't want to come out from her hiding. And likewise, we can have a sense of our own uncleanness. And so what we want to project to God and what we want to project to other people is a sense of real spirituality. is a sense of real holiness and righteous living. And yet it's this great burden upon our souls that we carry around and we feel as though we've been doing it for so long that we can't come out of hiding. It's much like David in Psalm 32 when he knows and confesses that the one whose transgressions are forgiven and sins are covered, that's the blessed man. When I kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, I wanted to hide my sin from God. I wanted to hide it from others. And it was such a burden upon my soul. It was though my bones were just wasting away until until he came to understand the freedom of the Gospel. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. My friends, it's scary to come out from behind all of our barriers that we erect to be uncovered. In a sense, to be found out by God. Jesus knows exactly this woman's condition. It's not that He needs to be told. It's simply that she needs to come out of hiding. And that's what He wants from us too, to come out of hiding. My friends, what are you hiding behind today? What separates you from God? What separates you from other people? 
Do you have the confidence and the assurance that Christ loves you and has taken away your sins that you dare to come out from behind your hiding and receive what Jesus has for you? And I think every one of us, if we were to be honest with ourselves, wants to be found out. We want to come out of hiding. We're like little children when you play hide and seek with little children. And they go hide and you're seeking to find them. And you've counted to ten and you say, ready or not, here I come. And you go off looking for them. And all of a sudden you hear little rustlings in a closet. And you say, I wonder where so and so is. And they say, I'm in here, daddy, I'm in here. It's because they want to be found. My friends, there's so much freedom in being found by God. In His grace, He seeks to draw us out of every barrier, out of every bit of hiding, that He might show mercy to our souls. And so here we find this woman drawn out of hiding. But secondly this, He wants to teach us more about trusting Him. There are really three scenes here to this particular account. There's the scene where Jesus is met by the man, Jairus, and begs that Jesus would come and heal his daughter. But then there's scene number two where Jesus is distracted from doing that and heals this woman and has this great interchange between them. We're told here in verse 29 that immediately the blood flow dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And then there's this odd uh, situation where Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now that sounds strange coming from Jesus. After all, He is God. We aren't given the understanding of this particular mystery, but what we can say is true is this, that God in His sovereign grace sought to heal this woman and used Jesus to do it. But Jesus here asked this woman, or ask, who touched my garments? And his disciples are frustrated. You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? The question is, why did Jesus stop? Why didn't he just press on and continue to Jairus' house that he would heal this little girl? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first is this. He wants to teach the lesson that only faith in Jesus saves. Only faith in Jesus saves. Now this woman comes to Jesus thinking, if I can just touch the hem of His garment, I will be saved. It may have been that her association with uh, ritual uncleanness, that if anybody were to touch her, they would be unclean, led her to believe that, well, if I just touch Jesus, then I will be clean or be healed. That may possibly be it. But you know, all throughout history... Humanity has given itself to associating power to certain animate objects. We've done this forever. And we may think, well, now that's just old superstition and fake belief. But on Saturday afternoons, why do people in the thousands gather together to see a football team rub a rock? Why? Do people hold on to good luck charms? 
we are constantly given to associating some kind of power to animate objects. It's why the, the people of God in the wilderness worship the golden calf. Moses was gone. Where is God? They were actually worshiping the Lord by worshiping the golden calf. What they wanted to do was reduce God down and localize him into this little inanimate object. That's why he gave the second commandment. Make no graven image because this is our tendency. You know, there are places around the world that are considered sacred where people gather together because they think there might be some way in which they will be blessed. Look at all the relics in church history. I don't know if you've been to Europe or someplace and seen uh, the hair of a particular saint in a church thinking that there's some kind of power in his hair or in his teeth. There's all types of things like that around the world. I can even remember seeing an image on, of Jesus on a piece of toast that someone was selling on eBay. What does this say about the human heart? Well, it probably says many things, but I think one thing is this. We'll believe the absurd and we'll give ourselves to the ridiculous before we'll come to Christ. And what Jesus wants this woman to understand, it's not my clothes that made you well. It's faith in me. And that's exactly what he goes on to tell her after she has told him the whole truth. Verse 34 says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He wants to bring her to an explicit faith in Him, to an assured faith in Him, so that she doesn't leave thinking, well, there's power in Jesus' clothes. No, there's power in Christ. And it's faith in Him that will actually heal. My friends, this is the very thing that the Reformers so uh, desired in the church is that people would come to faith in Jesus and Jesus alone that their hearts might be renewed. Earlier this week, I received an email from a young man who told me after uh, many times that we had met that he had been instructed as in his pursuit of finding purpose in life and meaning in life that what he needed to do was to read his Bible more. He needed to evangelize more. He needed to pray more. He needed to serve people more. And he says, I gave myself to doing all of those things. And there was still an emptiness in my soul. Until God began to show me what a sinner I am. Not just that I sin occasionally, but that I'm a sinner. That there was no sort of good golden age in my life. That I've always been a sinner. And He began to teach me about the grace of God so that I came to Christ in faith. And when I came and trusted in Jesus, that's when I began to have purpose in life. That's when I began to have meaning in life. And all the other things that I could put my trust in Accounted for nothing. Jesus wants you and me to be very clear on this. That it's faith and faith in Jesus alone that's saved. Now, I've spoken to many people over the years who have grown up in the church and they've, quote, trusted in God. And that they've never really had a great sense of assurance that they really are saved. They have no real peace in their life. There is no sense of abiding joy in their life. Because all along they have this general idea 
of trusting God, but they've never really come to trust in Jesus. My friends, what an awakening that is in someone when they come to understand it's faith in Christ that makes us well. Maybe you're like this woman and you're not confident yet that faith in Jesus is all that you need for salvation. My friends, that's what Jesus wants you to believe. Come to Him and to Him alone. So He wants to teach that faith in Jesus alone is necessary, but secondly this, that our faith must continually grow. I ask the question, why did Jesus stop? Now when He stopped to have this conversation with this woman, this must have been very frustrating for the man. It would be for me. If my daughter was near death, and I'm asking Jesus, Jesus, please come and heal her. And yet He's taking time out to have a conversation with this woman knowing that every minute counts. I would be extremely frustrated. And yet here we find, while He was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had said, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I'm sure that some sense of anger must have welled up in this man at this point. After all, he had already risked quite a bit to come to Jesus. He's the synagogue ruler. You know how the Pharisees felt about Jesus. He's risking his position. He's risking his reputation to come to Jesus and ask, will you please come and heal my daughter? And now Jesus has prolonged his journey to go to his daughter. And because of that, this man's daughter is dead. And what does Jesus do? We're told here, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Believe in Me. He's already shown some sort of faith. Believe a little bit more, Jairus. And they come to the house. In verse 38, we see there's this great commotion taking place. Jesus asked them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? What does Jesus want this man to do? He wants him to believe even more in the face of death. We're told here that these people laughed at Jesus. Why? Because He said the child is not dead, but sleeping. Now imagine you're walking into your house with Jesus and people are weeping and mourning because your child is dead. And you look at Jesus and Jesus says, do not fear only believe because this child is not dead and everybody begins to laugh and mock Jesus. This is a point in which you have a decision to make. What are you going to do? Jesus wants this man to trust even more. You see, our faith is not one that's to be stagnant, but it's one that's dynamic. It is to be always growing, always maturing, Always deepening. And He brings this man to the breaking point. Jesus, I can't believe. What are you talking about? And yet He does. Some of you have been tested in this way and you know what it's like. Jesus has asked you, now trust Me just a little bit more. Go with Me just a little bit further. And Christ all the time is saying, 
trust me just a little bit more. There are times you read things in His Word and you say, I just don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can really live as a pilgrim and stranger in this world. I don't know that I can give up every earthly treasure and seek heavenly treasures. And Jesus says, now trust me just a little bit more and let go a little bit more of all the things in this world that you would seek after. There are times in your life when you hold on to your sin and you just don't want to confess it because you're not sure you can really trust God with it. Will He really love me if I reveal what I've done? And He says, trust me just a little bit more and let go. So here in this man and this woman, Jesus is leading them to trust Him just a little bit more. Finally this. Jesus also wants to show them that He rewards our faith. That He rewards our faith. Those who are tested and those whose faith is proven genuine, Jesus is gracious and merciful to reveal more of Himself. Verse 41 here, taking this little girl by the hand, He says, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. But notice who is overcome. It's not the crowds that laughed at Jesus who were overcome with amazement. It's Peter, James, John, and the parents of this little girl. You see, they're the only ones who are given privilege to seeing the miraculous work of Jesus. Everybody else, we're told, were kept on the outside. Verse 40, but He put them all outside. Why? After all, once again, this is a great evangelistic opportunity. You see, those who don't believe, even what they have is taken away from them. But Jesus says, if you do believe, if you keep pressing forward, if you keep growing deeper in your faith, then I will reveal glories to you that you can't even imagine. He wants us to believe what the writer of Hebrews says. That we, when we come to God in faith, we not only believe that He exists, but that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you trust that Jesus rewards you? Not because you've earned it, but because He is so merciful, He delights to shower blessing upon His people. My friends, when you are without options in life, just like this woman and just like Jairus, He keeps saying, now come with me a little bit further and trust me that when you follow me, you will be blessed. That's the very thing that He has done here with this man and this woman. You know, some of us wonder why other people seem to have spiritually what we don't have. They may have even asked you before, what what is so different about you? You may be one of those people that you've you've been in your church in church your whole life and you've you've just wondered what what really is it that sets other people apart from me? What what makes their spiritual life so special when mine seems to just be drab and dreary? My friends, I think it is this. Maybe you've never been let in because you've never let Jesus in. Because those who are led into the room to see this girl healed 
miraculously are those who have first let Jesus in. So all that He is doing in this passage and healing these, these, uh, this woman and this little girl is to say, not only do I have power to heal, but I want to be at work in your heart because I want you to come further into me. Trust me more. Don't leave me out on the front porch. But I want to come all the way in. And when I do, I will open the storehouse of blessings and rain them down upon you. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Christ. We ask that You would be at work in us in just these ways that You would draw us out of ourselves more and more. That You would teach us to trust Jesus more. And that You would help us to persevere knowing that the reward for our faith is glorious and great. All because of Jesus' righteousness given to us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.